Sarah, very, very nice to have you. Welcome to the show. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. Sir, welcome back. This is episode 36, and Chittister has jokes as we're starting the podcast. He wanted me to... uh, First off, let me address something. You need to call me from now on Maverick. Top Gun Maverick is what you call me, because I'm fast. I just tell you. Have you seen the movie? No, I have not. Oh, man. Oh, man. It brought back I saw the first one, but I heard the the one that just came out is really good. Oh, yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. No, I haven't seen it. It's amazing, and I, I, I have the need for speed is all I need to tell you. Well, and you I'm came go- into the studio this morning talking about how bad your back hurt. And well, you can barely walk, okay. so I don't, I don't know okay. how much that adds now up. Now we're talking about my age. Okay. So I uh, was a Little League coach this year, and we won zero games all season. Really excited about that. And then at the very last game, I was pitching. Perfect pitching, by the way. Uh, and I ended up injuring my back, and so Chittister wanted me to make sure that I brought that up because that's fun. It is. It is. Oh, boy. We have a very special guest today. Uh, this woman is a woman of God. I always compare her when I'm introducing her to people that she is like a modern-day Deborah. She is on fire for the Lord. She is fearless, and, man, it is the kind of godly people that we want for from the rooms of recovery comes the revival of a mm, nation. Amen. Uh, and so let's introduce Sarah Keel. She is the executive director for Renew Clinic of Knoxville. She also spent time working for the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services faith-based initiative. Uh, Sarah, very, very nice to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. You're very welcome. So I gave you this introduction. I compared you to Deborah in the Bible uh, talk to us about your journey. Tell us about um, the process of a little bit, just a flyby of your testimony and then how God led you to um, working for the state of Tennessee and then uh, kind of the leap of faith that you took even before you knew, well, I'll, I'll let you get into it, but before you even knew that you were going to take the role that you did, you kind of stepped away knowing that God had something prepared for you and it was not where you were. So so walk us through that. It's very exciting. Sure. So... A little bit about me. I did grow up um, not knowing my father. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, you know, we went to a Universalist Unitarian church a couple of times. So there's many different pathways to the top of the mountain, so to speak. And we, I remember um, we had like Hindu God statues up in the front yard. We had Buddha by the front door. Um, and it was just kind of a hodgepodge, you know, your truth, my truth, everybody's got truth. So I was kind of exposed to that very progressive thinking, even at a young age. And I think that actually has been to my benefit because um, I see how much it doesn't work. But um, anyway, I was adopted when I was eight. Um, And my adopted father is, was a very strict Jewish man from the from the Bronx. And, um, he actually, he and my mom met, um, he was in, he's an old timer AA guy. My mom was going to Al-Anon and that's where they met. And I remember actually going to NA and AA meetings, um, as a child, I don't know how that happened or worked out, but I remember (laughs) 
going <laughs> to meetings when I was oh, very wow. young. Yeah. Um, and I remember like going to the coffee shops afterwards uh, with all their friends. And I remember even being in this one coffee shop, this is coming up for me right now, and pay- <laughs> playing with a Ouija board in the oh, coffee gosh. shop. Wow. And nobody stopped me. <laughs> no one stopped me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so yeah, playing with Ouija board. But um, I, I just rebelled very quickly. Um, you know, I kind of cast off all restraint as a kid. I was that child that was, my mom did not know what to do with me. I, I always knew I was loved by her. Um, but, you know, I went into group homes and children's homes and all kinds of different places. Um, I was using by 12, um, you know, 13 was probably my first like binge drinking experience, but I was using cocaine and ecstasy by 14 and 15. I was shooting heroin by the time I was 18. I was in and out of jail, uh, pretty much the entire time. Um, and I was, um, the gospel was presented to me when I was in jail, essentially. And I came to the Lord. I had a very radical encounter with the Lord where the the scales were removed and it was just so powerful for me. Um, you know, whenever you say modern day Deborah, I think it's just because it, it just lives very powerfully inside of me where um, like, it's just so true. Like there's yeah. just no undenying it. It's just so true. Um, that's the way I would explain it. But I, I was working in the secular world for a very long time. And I always knew I was, called to ministry because I was very uncomfortable working in the secular world. When I first moved to Tennessee, I was working for the Department of Children's Services. And I even remember like at my uh, orientation training for staff, um, you know, they were just training us on different human issues and assessments and stuff like that. And I was listening to a Paul Washer (laughs) sermon on my way to the training. It was like an hour long to get to this training. And I remember listening to this Paul Washer sermon. By the time I got there, I was under such deep conviction that the problem of this world is not, you know, mental health issues. The problem of this world is not trauma. The problem of this world is sin. And yes, trauma and mental health come from these things, but the problem is sin. And we keep trying to put band-aids, secular band-aids on these, on these true issues that nobody wants to acknowledge the true problem to come to the true solution. And I remember I walked into this training and I was in tears. I was under such great conviction. Mm. I was in tears and they kind of looked at me and was like, what's wrong? And I couldn't hold it in. And I said, the problem is sin. It's not this and that and, and this was her last day working for the state government no, no, just joking. that's awesome no here here's where it's a miracle she said well go pull yourself together outside because i don't think the trainer was a believer she's kind of looking at me like this lady's crazy so i i called the my supervisor that um hired me also not a believer and i told her the exact same thing but she encouraged me to stay she's like i want you to work this out i want you to stay and I was like, okay. So, because <laughs> I thought for sure they would just totally let me go. But um, I stayed with the department for, you know, about a year. I mean, it was a very difficult job. I know that's a very short period of time, but at the year mark, one of the attorneys that knew how 
much my faith meant to me. And it, mind you, I was evangelizing to a lot of my people on my caseload anyway, because, you know, it's just that that's what I felt the Lord led me to do. Um, but one of the attorneys, they said, Hey, there's this new position that people that the state is hiring for. It's a faith-based community coordinator and you would be great for this. And I thought, wow, this sounds great. You work in 33 counties, you're working for the state, but you have to have lived experience. She wanted to apply, but she didn't have lived experience. So I applied, I got it immediately. Um, and it was like the day, the last day you could apply at like 4 PM is when she told me. And so I sent in my resume, I got an interview, I got hired almost immediately. And, um, I was really excited about this position. Um, but I quickly found out with the state, a faith-based initiative is essentially all faiths. You have to be working with all faiths. And to me, that's great for me to have an opportunity to speak to all these different kinds of people with all these different faith backgrounds. Me as the evangelist that I, that I am <laughs> like, that sounds great. But, um, you know, I quickly realized that there is a hostility to saying in the um, recovery world that if you say Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, there's a great hostility that you will be um, found standing up against, mm. uh, particularly with, within the state. So I got my hands slapped a couple of times to, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. So, and then from there um, kind of, and we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but from there, there was the, Knox County Church Network that developed, uh, and this is what's so cool. I keep looking at a camera that's not on. I need to look at this one. Uh, but for those that are listening, the Knox County Church ne Network is a cross-denominational churches that came together and said, hey, we need to tackle social issues, and we need to do this as the capital C church. And what the, and, and the first thing that they did was, hey, this, this opioid, the forgotten pandemic— Come on, the forgotten pandemic.com, the forgotten pandemic, the, the opioid crisis, the overdoses, the drug addiction, those kind of things. Uh, and so, man, they came together. They got funding from different churches. They developed something called Renew Clinic Knoxville, and they needed an executive director. Um, I put my two cents in there, and I said that they should hire you, uh, a modern-day Deborah. And not that my two cents mattered, but that was obviously and clearly the right choice, and I'm glad that they did. And so you guys have been formed. You are an intensive outpatient in Knoxville, Knox County. Uh, you're working to grow and do some other things, I know, but I'm not going to reveal those until you do. Um, but also, just what, has it been a little bit, what, a year and a few months you've been open? 14, 15 months? Yeah, we've our year anniversary of being open was in May. I've been on as the executive director for about two years now, but as far as being open, um, because when they hired me, we just we had some money in the bank. We didn't have any staff. We didn't have a building, anything like that. Um, first thing I did was order business cards. <laughs> I need to have some business cards sure. and, uh, and a website. We need a website. And so uh, when they brought me on and kind of built it from the ground up, and so we've been open for a year open for a year, 13 months. And so just so you guys know, when I'm talking about Renew Clinic, they are and their, their theology, their philosophy on addiction. Uh, they see addiction the same as S2L. They believe, um, that there's freedom from addiction. 
so let me ask you this, Sarah, just because we talk all the time. We were even talking about before the podcast, and I want to kind of bring it up because there is this sense of from the rooms of recovery comes the mm. revival of a nation. And, and we all have been saying that, including you, uh, for a season. And we feel that, and it seems that God is doing something here. And so before we get into that, talk to us about why is Christ-centered addiction recovery so important in comparison to um, the secular norm and what we've been taught for the last 70 years and what the mass majority of places that are dealing with addiction and what they're doing is different than what you at Renew's doing, what S2L is doing and what a, a good other, there's other places doing what we're doing. So we're not just saying it's just us too, but what's the difference and why is Christ centered so important? Um, just to say it plainly, and then I'll expand. Um, obviously it's because of Jesus, because he is the truth. He is the life. He is the way. Um, he's not just, um, a good idea or a good option or a better option than others. He is the option. We are created to be in relationship with him. We are created to be at peace with him because we are created by him. He is the word of God. And so until we are reconciled to our creator, there's going to be dysfunction. We're all going to be addicted. We're all going to be in an addictive relationship with something that's not him. Um, but until we are found to be at peace with him, you know, there are some addictions that are more socially acceptable, like success, work, human approval, things like that. And then there are things that are um, less socially acceptable, like drug addiction, alcoholism, sex addiction, those, but addiction is addiction because we're created to worship um, because we're created to worship God and be in relationship with him. And so, you know, I'll be the one to say what, ruffles feathers a lot of times is, you know, until somebody is found in Christ, um, there's, there's not going to be complete healing and restoration of the soul. I mean, the soul's still dead until we're found in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't care about, you know, you know, trying to, kind of, you know, Jesus called the, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. It's basically because they're the walking dead. You know, they make themselves look good on the outside, but on inside, they're still dead men's bones. I want people to, I want to see people come alive. I want people to be saved like eternally. I don't want to settle and neither does Christ or any of God's people want to settle, nor should we be thrilled with the settling of anything less than that. So Christ-centered care it works because it is truly the only option. Um, I, I do think that there are people that find sobriety who are not Christians. Um, but we believe as Christians that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights where there's no variation or shadow due to change. So if every good and perfect gift comes from above, if, if a person who does not believe in Christ can have a family and find sobriety and experience any kind of forgiveness or gladness of heart or sanity, it's still coming from Christ. They're just not giving him glory for it. Yeah. Common grace. Yes. 
So if, if you if you're if you follow the podcast, if you follow us too well and you've seen the documentary, then then Sarah probably looks familiar. She definitely was uh, in the Forgotten Pandemic documentary about um, overdoses and Christ-centered addiction recovery and the state of our nation. And I think, Sarah, that you have two of maybe the best, if not two of the some of the best uh, lines in the documentary. You talk about striving and resting. You talk about um, mundane, you know, functional people walk roaming the earth kind of thing. And, and, and I, I don't know, can you expound on that? Can you expound on just the peace? And then, uh, Jeff, I almost called you Jeff. You look like a Jeff. Uh, <laughs> Ryan has a few questions that he's going to ask, but yeah, kind of expound on some of the resting in the Lord. And, and I mean, you touched on it. You said, um, we're all going to be addicted towards something or and serving something. And, that, and, and earlier you talked about, hearing the sermon and it's, it's sin. And so I identify that, that that's called idolatry, right? When we place things on a throne, that's not supposed to be on a throne. Uh, when we replace God, his promises, his truth, his word with cheap substitutes, that's idolatry. Expound on the rest that can come. And instead of us striving to meet some kind of thing or to find some kind of peace or to get some kind of rest, uh, explain and, and kind of expound on that. Almost like the last one. It is, I think the last line of the documentary you talk about rest. Expound on that. Sure. So, you know, the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And Jesus is called the the Lord of the Sabbath. And in Hebrews 4, you know, it talks about today is the day of salvation. And today there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his heart. And it talked about how the seventh day God rested. Um, and that we, I, I believe that that seventh day rest that God is currently still in. And Jesus is the, the Lord of that Sabbath day. That that is where we will join him in that Sabbath day when we go to be with him. Um, rest we can have today is the rest that comes with we recognize that there is nothing we can do to earn our right standing with god our thoughts will fail us our feelings and our emotions are going to fail us our um, behaviors our motivations um, because we are still in corruptible and perishable bodies. And because of the fall, this is where every single human being on the face of the planet, except Jesus, finds themselves. Um, and so there's a wrestling inside that every single person has, whether they acknowledge it or not. Um, and the only place for that restlessness to be put at ease and for there to be peace and like a calm to the storm is, is whenever we accept the free gift of grace that is in Christ. Um, I even see people in recovery who are not Christians who are still striving and striving and afraid of themselves and afraid of messing up and afraid of slipping and constantly self-examining. Not that that's a bad thing. I think self-examination is a good thing but obsessively self-examining to the point of, you know, almost just, 
I say, I say, I'm just going to use the word obsession again. It's almost an obsession. The 12 steps are good because they're biblical steps. I believe that it comes from the Bible, but the 12 steps in and of itself, um, just keeping the 12 steps that people are going to be enslaved to just keeping the 12 steps as a way of trying to find that internal relief that nothing in this world is going to give us except Mm -hmm. Christ, which is a free gift. Um, and then that peace is supernatural. It's not something we can conjure up. Now, when we obey biblical principles, we will be blessed by it because anything that we do that is in accordance with God's law and God's ways of doing things is going to bless us in some way, whether we're believers or not. And that's just common grace, as you kind of pointed out earlier. But that supernatural peace, that supernatural rest, it is given to us. It's not something we can conjure up. And I just think that there are so many people who are trying to conjure up their own peace and their own rest. So when you manufacture your own rest or peace or attempt to do that, I don't know that that's ever successful. uh, It's absolutely idolatry because you're going towards something that maybe you have some experience, some history of it giving you very minimal relief. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to drug addiction, when it comes to alcohol addiction or pornography or sex, any kind of like addiction that, as Sarah was describing, is more visible, um, man, those kind of things become painful and they always end badly. So no matter the little moment of relief that we do receive that we try to justify, and inevitably I believe that rolls down to not only worshiping the pill, the bottle, the feeling, but it's really making yourself a lowercase g God. Because I'm going to do this to serve me, to make me feel good, so I don't have to stress this is what I want to do. No matter the destruction, no matter the decay that I've left in my path, knowing that when I do this, it ends badly, I'm still choosing to do it. No matter the relationship with my wife or husband, no matter the relationship and avoiding my kids, no matter all that be darned, I'm going to do it anyway. And so it's idolatry. And, man, I think it's so good. And, Ryan, what were you going to say? Now, I kind of wanted to touch on what we were discussing briefly earlier and something Sarah touched on earlier as well, but just from the rooms of recovery to the revival of a nation. And we talk about how God used addiction in our lives as a puppet to draw us directly to him Mm. and how I truly believe that, man, that's where revival is going to start. Most people don't know that Christ is enough in their lives until Christ is all they have. See, when I came to a Christ-centered addiction recovery facility, right, I didn't know God. I didn't grow up really in the Word or praying or anything like that. And I see a lot of men who come through here in the same manner. And maybe they have had a church background, so to speak, but they've never really encountered the Lord. See, I came here just to stop using drugs or alcohol, so I thought. I thought it was just to stop using these substances and everything would get better. But as Sarah spoke earlier, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And there is a distinguishable difference between mere sobriety and freedom in Christ. Right. Freedom in Christ comes with a savior that comes with forgiveness of sins. It comes with sanctification. It comes with the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Me simply being sober comes with sobriety. Mm. And it, man, it, it was a drastic change in the way I perceived addiction as Christ versus sin. And my job is abiding obedience and trusting him as versus Ryan versus addiction. I will never win that battle. I tried every method, every way, every avenue, everything within myself. I tried to fight that and it led me down the same exact path. And so that's just something I'm very passionate about 
is that, man, there is a distinguishable difference between me just not using drugs and trying to obtain some sort of sobriety and, man, devoting your life to Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith and can absolutely restore and redeem everything that addiction has taken from you. But I was going to ask you something real quick, Sarah. If you could like turn back the time and talk to your 18 year old self with everything you've been through, knowing what you know now, what is a word of advice or a word of encouragement that you would give her? Nice. Drugs are bad. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> Drugs are bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be, this is the first thing that popped up for me that you are precious to the one who mm. created you. Um, that for me soothes everything in my spirit. Whenever I consider the love of God, um, I love the, I love the righteousness of God. I love the, the strength and power of God, but I'm going to be terrified standing before him unless I understand the love of God and his heart for me. Um, because when I was 18, I really just kind of looked at myself as kind of, you know, washed up, you know, I've screwed up so much. There's really nothing else. You know, I can't, I can't come back from this. Uh, this is just kind of who I am. Um, I, I mean, to know that I was actually precious to an almighty God. Um, I think that that would have really stood out to me then. And it still does today. That's so good because one of the most difficult things for me when I was around that age in the midst of an addiction was, was identity. I'm worthless. I'm hopeless. I betrayed, lied, deceived the, the, my loved ones so many times that I don't even deserve life, nor did I desire life. And that's another thing that encompasses freedom in Christ is you are given a new identity. And we haven't even talked about the power of the Holy Spirit that you now possess as well. Um, that's significant to continuing to walk in freedom. And that identity thing is huge. It's it's huge because this world sells us this lie that, man, that is something you are. That's something you'll always be. But yet try not to be that. I used to go to the same AA and NA meetings you were talking about due to drug and alcohol related tickets. And like, that's what I was told. That's who you are, but don't be that. But that's who you are. And it's like, oh, okay, so don't try to be who I am, but yet that's who you are. And remind yourself that's who you are, but don't be that. It's like, okay, I'll, 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 we'll see how this works. And yeah. it just, it never sat well with me. Yeah, their solution is just resist the flesh, resist the flesh. And it's that same insane conflict that Paul talks about in Romans 7. People in the rooms... And I know that there are believers in the rooms too. And I also know that people come to Christ through the rooms. So I'm not trying to totally criticize the rooms, but one thing is, you know, they believe that they say that only a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, but there's still just this willful striving to remain sober because this is who I am. And it's just a constant resistance and the way I describe coming to Christ is I can't resist drugs forever. I just can't because it satisfies something within me. It does something for me. Um, they, you know, I like opiates, you know, it kills, kills, but you know, I like them. Um, but I had to be compelled towards something much more satisfying. 
I can't just spend my life resisting. Now, we are to stand firm and to resist temptation and to learn to endure. That is a part of the Christian walk. But when our identity is anchored into I am an addict, every day you're just resisting who you are. And that just sounds like, it sounds like shame to me. Um, but I also understand the mindset where they think, well, I want to acknowledge that this is my weakness for the rest of my life. I want to acknowledge a thorn in my flesh. I want to acknowledge this is a thorn in my flesh for the rest of my life so that I never go back to it. I get that. Like there are some things I just cannot entertain because I'm weakened to that and I can never go back. But that's not who I am. There's a big difference there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So we're closing out. Uh, we've been going roughly 29, 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> I want to get us in a little trouble. Are, we, are you okay with that? Can I get us in a little trouble? I'm down. Just because the thing, the things that we've been talking about and even calling it sin is already going to get us in trouble. So, so here's what I want to say. Without getting in the debate of disease and all of that, I'm not, we're not going to do that today. But I, And I will say, sin has physical consequences, right? If you, uh, the Bible says, do not worry. If you constantly worry, then you can create ulcers. I mean, there's physical things that can happen from sin. And, and same thing with addiction. The problem lies when the mass majority, just from the words that we've spoken on this podcast and call it addiction sin, will say that we are bigots, uneducated, shaming, it's not a moral issue, and the, and the whole crescendo of what we're talking about is if we can't call it what it is, there'll be no healing from it. Now, let's compare that to the reality. Can't call it what it is, and has the problem gotten worse or better? Way worse, right? If you can't call it what it is, then I think overdose deaths will increase. Well, what has happened the last, man, the last three years, it's gone skyrocket in flight. I almost broke into the song, but that would be very inappropriate for the topic, the the, the feel. Skyrocket through there, man. And I mean, so if we can't address, and and we're not saying that there's not physical things, even chemical, not saying that things don't affect the brain, but if you can't address the root issue and address it and talk about it and saying, hey, this is sin. When you exchange the glory of God for bootleg cheap substitutes, it's always going to end badly and it's always going to fail you. And if you can't say that, if you can't talk about that, if you can't say, as Sarah said, and as you said, I can't, if you turn to the source where there's true redemption, there's true freedom, there's true healing, there's true uh, fulfillment. Because she just said, I like doing drugs. I, I can't go a lifetime of just resisting that unless something else takes place. And if that something else is a doorknob, if that something else is your kids or a higher power that you can only understand, or your dead grandmother, or whatever it may be, it too falls into the idolatry category, and it will fail you. Or you'll live a life of 40 years of misery, dry drunk, wishing that you could drink and do drugs. When we're a new creation, and, and, and your mind is renewed, and I'm not saying early on you don't think about it, you don't feel these urges, but I'm telling you, I, the last thing I want to do is dope. That's a miracle for those words to come out of my life mm. because that wasn't always the case. There was a point in my life that I couldn't go to a, I couldn't have done this podcast without dope in my head. I would have had to wake up. I would have had to do this just to have a lunch meeting. 
And now it's literally like my DNA is. It's not I'm missing out and I need I want to do this. Oh, look, they're having fun. I wish it's no, I don't want to do it anymore. Amen. That's that's different. Right. And unless we can say that, then the problem is going to consistently get worse. Off my soapbox. Go ahead. All right. We in enough trouble. Is that good? Oh no, I think it's great. I thought you were going to, I thought it was going to be worse trouble. That was okay, good. that was pretty mild. <laughs> we right we could get into some trouble now. And we have. <laughs> yes. I want to touch on something real quick. Go ahead. And um one of you said this earlier. You were talking about um how like the true peace and joy and things like that are found in Christ and which is absolutely true. And then there are people who are in recovery, who are not believers. They could be atheists who are also experiencing peace and joy. There are people who Mm. worship, you know, who are Buddhist, who would say that they experience peace and, and joy and things like that. And this is where people get really confused. It's like, well, then why is your Christian God any different than this atheist over here who can experience peace and joy and recovery? Well, Mm -hmm. I would suggest it's because he is, even though he doesn't acknowledge God with his mind, you know, there is a blessing in abstaining from substances and and following the the pathway of forgiveness. And you're going to be blessed by it because those are biblical principles. Um, or the Buddhist over here who's in recovery and they're experiencing peace and tranquility and all this and all this stuff. And, you know, I, it's, Jesus is the most satisfying relationship, experience, God, anything that I've ever, ever encountered. And whenever I say I can't just resist drugs the rest of my life, I have to be compelled towards something much more satisfying. He is so satisfying to my soul I don't want to compromise that. Mm. He is the peace. He is the joy. And so whenever people experience gladness of heart to a certain degree, you know, Satan is the, is a counterfeit. There's counterfeit peace. There's counterfeit joy. There's counterfeit mm. things that mimic the one true thing. And so if they don't know the one true thing, the most satisfying ultimate peace, eternal peace, not just momentary carnal peace where you can, you know, have some calm, you know, moment sitting by an ocean, but true eternal Mm -hmm. peace that can never die. Joy that can never die is only found in Christ, but they can't know it because they've never tasted it. They can't touch it. And so when we talk about freedom in Christ and they're like, Oh no, I have freedom. Oh no, I have peace. Oh, I I have that too. But they don't know the one true substance. They know a counterfeit version that is carnal and will die. And it's not sustaining spiritually. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I think uh, Carl's back there. He's like, ooh, that was fan fire. Of the flames, yeah, baby, fan, fan of the flames. Of the flames. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I mean, even just to add to that, which I, I want too much because that was well said. I mean, freedom in the Buddhist to me or to the atheist or to the whoever that's claiming freedom from addiction, that's claiming freedom in life. I think there's a difference. And, and man, I, I've, I've been in this arena for 10 plus years. So I've been to a lot of different areas, right? I've, I've, I've 
no, I've been in this arena for 15 plus years, 20 plus years, gone to hundreds of meetings, hundreds of this, you know, all these different things. And I don't want to say too bold of a statement, but I, I mean, if you just look, and I'm not boasting in us, but I'm boasting in Christ. I mean, look, if you go and watch episodes, every episode, Ryan and I are just truly laughing at something silly, like yeah. truly joy-filled, truly like it's not, it's a freedom that I can have fun and I could do this and I don't have to be so guarded that, oh my gosh, if I stub my toe on the way out and I, you know, I'm going to be right back at it because that's not who we are anymore. Mm, we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And so, and I'm not saying that the Buddhists and all these people don't laugh and cut up, but I mean, it's just a different, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know why I opened that up at the 40 minute mark, but it's just a different, um, freedom. You're exactly right. It's a different freedom. It's Final eternal. Thoughts. It's eternal. Yeah. I, I just, I'll just reiterate what Sarah said. You don't know it's counterfeit until you've had the real thing. Ooh. So you just, I, and I, and so I get that. That makes perfect sense. You don't, how could you possibly know it's counterfeit if you've never had the real thing? Oh. It can, it can feel real to you. It can feel like, like the that. greatest joy, the greatest peace. But until you've had Jesus, you don't know what the greatest joy and greatest peace are. Man, that's so good. Well said. Well said. Sarah, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, I think, you know, we're, I do believe we're in the last days and I do think that Christians need to take off anything that hinders us from running the race. Um, the window of opportunity to reach people, um, is closing and God has granted us an opportunity to reach as many people, especially in this vulnerable population that we can. And what's wonderful about this population is many hearts are fertile to receive mercy. That's why I love prison mm. ministry too. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he says that we have to become like children in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven and for hearts to be fertile, to receive mercy, there's gotta be a great tearing down. There's gotta be a great humbling, um, an understanding that self-sufficiency cannot uh, is worthless. And I think what a better population for the Lord to, to really expand his kingdom, but through people who have truly struggled through addiction, it's almost like an odd grace upon someone's life to stumble into this kind of trouble. Mm. Um, and so the window of opportunity is closing. And, you know, I truly think that in the days to come that, Christians really need to be prepared to have their names slandered for the sake of Christ. They need to be prepared to um, lose rights and privileges for the sake of Christ. Uh, we need to be able to, be, we need to be willing to stand when we look uneducated or when we look uh, simple minded or yeah. radical or harsh or whatever, judgmental however the world wants to um, judge us because it's under the influence of Satan. He projects all of his thoughts onto the world and the world receives it. Um, but we can't take that as truth. We have to keep standing because there is an eternal reward and God, he is going to judge the rich and the poor. Okay. Yeah. The rich and the poor. Um, you know, I think the way society is set up is we think rich people are going to hell, poor people are going to heaven. 
And that's not how it is. The rich and the poor are going to be deceived by Satan. There are organizations set up all over the place trying to help the poor of society and making them twice as much a child of hell as they are. And yeah. we have to be reaching people um, because the days and hours are short and we can't be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God given to mankind, the power of salvation. And we have to ultimately be prepared to lose our lives. Um, are Amen. we willing to die? Amen. And let me just add to that as we close. Count the cost. We proclaim revivals coming uh, from the rooms of recovery, the revival of a nation. We've talked about it on this episode, but count the cost. I, I just think someone who's in it for notoriety, someone who's not ready for a fight, someone who's not willing to all the things that she just said, be slandered, have rights taken away for the cause of Christ. You're going to hurt the cause. So before coming in this and before flying this banner, count the cost. Know that these things that we're not, we're not saying them because it's fun. It's actually pretty hard to think about that. These things can be true. Count the cost and let's go. Let's go. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the disciples in the early church, they were untouchable, man. They were untouchable. They would be beat and they would leave rejoicing. Mm. Right. Count the cost. That's all I got. Anything else? I think I'm good. I think y'all ended it well. I know, I know. But Sarah, you can't end like that because that opens the door for another 45 <laughs> minutes to talk about. But anyways, we'll have Sarah back. Tell them where you could, uh, tell them your website. Tell them uh, anything else you want to add about Renew. Uh, tell, them, tell them where they could find you. I would say if you're in East Tennessee, any part of East Tennessee, you need to listen in. If not, go follow their socials. They're constantly putting encouraging stuff up for uh, people to really grow and, and feel uh, peace inside of uh, encouragement. Yeah, renewnoxville.com is our website. And yeah, you can also find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook. That's it. Okay. <laughs> and we will put the links in our show notes and on the YouTube as well. So Sarah, thank you so much. It's been an honor talking to you again. Modern day Deborah, that's life after addiction. You better believe it. Come on. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, you can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.